Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 168 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Parentheses number 3. As unto what was said in the objection concerning Christ's sufferings in the person of the elect, I know not whether any have used it or no, nor will I contend about it. He suffered in their stead, which all sorts of writers, ancient and modern, so express. In his suffering he bare the person of the church. The meaning is what was before declared. Christ and believers are one mystical person, one spiritually animated body, head and members. This, I suppose, will not be denied. To do so is to overthrow the church and the faith of it. Hence, what he did and suffered is imputed unto them. And it is granted that, as the surety of the covenant, he paid all our debts, or answered for all our faults, and that his righteousness is really communicated unto us. Why, then, say some, there is no need of repentance. All is done for us already. But why so? Why must we assent to one part of the gospel unto the exclusion of another? Was it not free unto God to appoint what way, method, and order he would whereby these things should be communicated unto us? Nay, upon the supposition of the design of his wisdom and grace, these two things were necessary. Brackets number one, that this righteousness of Christ should be communicated unto us and be made ours in such a way and manner as that he himself might be glorified therein, seeing he has disposed all things in his whole economy unto the praise of the glory of his grace. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. This was to be done by faith on our part. It is so. It could be no otherwise. For that faith whereby we are justified is our giving unto God the glory of His wisdom, grace, 
and love. And whatever does so is faith, and nothing else is so. Brackets number two. That whereas our nature was so corrupted and depraved as that continuing in that state, it was not capable of a participation of the righteousness of Christ, or any benefit of it, unto the glory of God and our own good. It was in like manner necessary that it should be renewed and changed. And unless it were so, the design of God in the mediation of Christ, which was the entire recovery of us unto himself, could not be attained. And therefore, as faith, under the formal consideration of it, was necessary unto the first end, namely, that of giving glory unto God, so unto this latter end it was necessary that this faith should be accompanied with, yea, and contain in itself the seeds of all those other graces wherein the divine nature does consist, whereof we are to be made partners. Not only, therefore, the thing itself, or the communication of the righteousness of Christ unto us, but the way and manner and means of it do depend on God's sovereign order and disposal. Wherefore, although Christ did make satisfaction to the justice of God for all the sins of the church, and that, as a common person, for no man in his wits can deny, but that he who is a mediator and a surety is, in some sense, a common person. And although he did pay all our debts, yet does the particular interest of this or that man in what he did and suffered depend on the way, means, and order designed of God unto that end. This and this alone gives the true necessity of all the duties which are required of us with their order and their ends. Number three. It is objected, quote, that the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, which we defend, overthrows the necessity of faith itself, end quote. This is home indeed. Non-English words is the design of all these objections, but they have reason to plead for themselves who make it. For on this supposition, they say, quote, the righteousness of Christ is ours before we do believe. For Christ satisfied all our sins, as if we had satisfied in our own persons. And he who is esteemed to have satisfied for all his sins in his own person is acquitted from them all and accounted just, whether he believe or no. Nor is there any ground or reason why he should be required to believe. If, therefore, the righteousness of Christ be really ours, because in the judgment of God we are esteemed to have wrought it in him, then it is ours before we do believe. If it be otherwise, then it is plain that that righteousness itself can never be made ours by believing. Only the fruits and effects of it may be suspended on our believing, whereby we may be made partakers of them. Yea, if Christ be made any such satisfaction for us as is pretended, it is really ours, without any farther imputation. For, being performed for us and in our stead, it is the highest injustice to have us accounted pardoned and acquitted without any farther, either imputation on the part of God or faith on ours. End quote. These things I have transcribed out of Socinus, which I would not have doubt, but that I find others to have gone before me herein, though to another purpose. And he concludes 
with a confidence which others also seem, in some measure, to have learned from him. For he says unto his adversary, non-English words, speaking of the satisfaction of Christ and the imputation of it unto believers. And indeed, his serpentine wit was futile in the invention of cavels against all the mysteries of the gospel. Nor was he obliged by any one of them so as to contradict himself in what he opposed concerning any other of them. For denying the deity of Christ, his satisfaction, sacrifice, merit, righteousness, and overthrowing the whole nature of his mediation, nothing stood in his way which he had a mind to oppose. But I sometimes wonder how others can make use of his inventions in this kind, who, if they consider to write their proper tendency, they will find them to be absolutely destructive of what they seem to own. So it is in this present objection against the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. If it has any force in it, as indeed it has not, it is to prove that the satisfaction of Christ was impossible, and so he intended it, but it will be easily removed. I answer first, in general, that the whole fallacy of this objection lies in the opposing one part of the design and method of God's grace in this mystery of our justification unto another, or the taking of one part of it to be the whole, which, as to its efficacy and perfection, depends on somewhat else. Hereof we warned the reader in our previous discourses. For the whole of it is a supposition that the satisfaction of Christ, if there be any such thing, must have its whole effect without believing on our part, which is contrary unto the whole declaration of the will of God in the gospel. But I shall principally respect them who are pleased to make use of this objection, and yet do not deny the satisfaction of Christ. And I say, Parentheses number 1. When the Lord Christ died for us, and offered himself as a propitiatory sacrifice, God laid all our sins on him. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6. And he then bare them all in his own body on the tree. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24. Then he suffered in our stead, and made full satisfaction for all our sins. For he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. And by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Chapter 10 verse 14. He whose sins were not actually and absolutely satisfied in that one offering of Christ shall never have them expiated unto eternity. For henceforth he dies no more. There is no more sacrifice for sin. The repetition of a sacrifice for sin, which must be the crucifying of Christ afresh, overthrows the foundation of Christian religion. Parenthesis number two. Notwithstanding this full plenary satisfaction, once made for the sins of the world that shall be saved, yet all men continue equal to be born by nature, children of wrath. And whilst they believe not, the wrath of God abides on them. John chapter 3 verse 36. That is, they are obnoxious unto and under the curse of the law. Wherefore, on the only making of that satisfaction, no one for whom it was made in the design of God can be said to have suffered in Christ. 
nor to have an interest in his satisfaction, nor by any way or means be made partaker of it antecedently unto another act of God in its imputation unto him. For this is but one part of the purpose of God's grace as unto our justification by the blood of Christ, namely, that he, by his death, should make satisfaction for our sins. Nor is it to be separated from what also belongs unto it in the same purpose of God. Wherefore, from the position or grant of the satisfaction of Christ, no argument can be taken unto the negation of the consequential act of its imputation unto us, nor, therefore, of the necessity of our faith in the believing and receiving of it, which is no less the appointment of God than it was than that Christ should make that satisfaction. Wherefore, parenthesis number three, that which the Lord Christ paid for us is as truly paid as if we had paid it ourselves. So he speaks, Psalms 69, verse 5, non-English words. He made no spoil of the glory of God. What was done of that nature by us, he returned it unto him. And what he underwent and suffered, he underwent and suffered in our stead. But yet the act of God in laying our sins on Christ conveyed no actual right and title to us unto what he did and suffered. They are not immediately thereon, nor by virtue thereof ours, or esteemed ours. Because God has appointed somewhat else, not only antecedent thereunto, but as the means of it, unto his own glory. These things, both as unto their being and order, depend on the free ordination of God. But yet, parenthesis number four, it cannot be said that this satisfaction was made for us on such a condition as should absolutely suspend the event and render it uncertain whether it should ever be for us or no. Such a constitution may be righteous in pecuniary solutions. A man may lay down a great sum of money for the discharge of another on such a condition as may never be fulfilled. For... On the absolute failure of the condition, his money may and ought to be restored unto him, whereon he has received no injury or damage. But, in penal suffering for crimes and sins, there could be no righteous constitution that shall make the event and efficacy of it to depend on a condition absolutely uncertain, and which may not come to pass or be fulfilled. For if the conditions fail, no recompense can be made unto him that has suffered. Wherefore, the way of the application of the satisfaction of Christ unto them for whom it was made is sure and steadfast in the purpose of God. Parentheses number 5. God has appointed that there shall be an immediate foundation of the imputation of the satisfaction and righteousness of Christ unto us. Whereon we may be said to have done and suffered in him what he did and suffered in our stead, by that grant, donation, and imputation of it unto us, or that we may be interested in it, that it may be made ours, which is all we contend for. And this is our actual coalescency into one mystical person with him by faith. Hereon does the necessity of faith originally depend, 
And if we shall add hereunto the necessity of it likewise, unto that especial glory of God, which he designs to exult in our justification by Christ, as also unto the ends of our obedience unto God, and the renovation of our natures into his image, its station is sufficiently secured against all objections. Our actual interest in the satisfaction of Christ depends on our actual insertion into his mystical body by faith, according to the appointment of God. Number four. It is yet objected, quote, that if the righteousness of Christ be made ours, we may be said to be saviors of the world, as he was, or to save others, as he did. For he was so and did so by his righteousness and no otherwise, end quote. This objection also is of the same nature with those foregoing. A mere sophistical cavil. 4. Parentheses number 1. The righteousness of Christ is not transfused into us so as to be made inherently and subjectively ours as it was in him and which is necessarily required unto that effect of saving others thereby. Whatever we may do or be said to do with respect unto others, by virtue of any power or quality inerrant in ourselves, we can be said to do nothing unto others or for them, by virtue of that which is imputed unto us only for our own benefit, that any righteousness of ours should benefit another. It is absolutely necessary that it should be wrought by ourselves. Parenthesis number two. If the righteousness of Christ could be transfused into us and be made inherently ours, yet could we not be, nor be said to be, the saviors of others thereby. For our nature in our individual persons is not non-English words, or capable to receive and retain a righteousness useful and effectual unto that end. This capacity was given unto it in Christ by virtue of the hypostatical union and no otherwise. The righteousness of Christ himself, as performed in the human nature, would not have been sufficient for the justification and salvation of the church, had it not been the righteousness of his person, who is both God and man. For God redeemeth his church with his own blood. Parenthesis number three. This imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto us, as unto its end and use, has its measure from the will of God and His purpose in that imputation. And this is that which should be the righteousness of them unto whom it is imputed and nothing else. Parenthesis number four. We do not say that the righteousness of Christ as made absolutely for the whole church is imputed unto every believer. But His satisfaction for every one of them in particular according to the will of God, is imputed unto them. Not with respect unto its general ends, but according unto everyone's particular interest. Every believer has his own homer of this bread of life, and all are justified by the same righteousness. Parenthesis number 5. The Apostle declares, as we shall prove afterwards, that as Adam's actual sin is imputed unto us, unto condemnation, so is the obedience of Christ imputed unto us to the justification of life. But Adam's sin is not so imputed unto any person as that he should then and thereby be the cause of sin and condemnation unto all other persons in the world, 
but only that he himself should become guilty before God thereon. And so is it on the other side. And as we are made guilty by Adam's actual sin, which is not inerrant in us, but only imputed unto us, so are we made righteous by the righteousness of Christ, which is not inerrant in us, but only imputed unto us. And imputed unto us it is, because himself was righteous in it. Not for himself, but for us. Number five. It is yet said, quote, that if we insist on personal imputation unto every believer of what Christ did, or if any believer be personally righteous in the very individual acts of Christ's righteousness, many absurdities will follow. End quote. But it was observed before that when any designed to oppose an opinion from the absurdities which they suppose would follow upon it, they are much inclined so to state it as that at least they may seem so to do. And this oft times the most worthy and candid persons are not free from in the heat of disputation. So, I fear, it is here fallen out. For as unto personal imputation, I do not well understand it. All imputation is unto a person, and is the act of a person, be it of what and what sort it will. But from neither of them can be denominated a personal imputation. And if an imputation be allowed, that is not unto the persons of men, namely, in this case unto all believers, the nature of it has not yet been declared, as I know of. That any have so expressed the imputation pleaded for, quote, that every believer should be personally righteous in the very individual acts of Christ's righteousness, end quote, I know not. I have neither read nor heard any of them who have so expressed their mind. It may be some have done so, but I shall not undertake the defense of what they have not done. For it seems not only to suppose that Christ did every individual act in which any instance is required of us, but also that those acts are made our own inerrantly, both which are false and impossible. That which indeed is pleaded for in this imputation is only this, that what the Lord Christ did and suffered as the mediator and surety of the covenant in answer unto the law for them and in their stead is imputed unto every one of them unto the justification of life. And sufficient this is unto that end without any supposals. Parenthesis number one. From the dignity of the person who yielded this obedience which rendered it both satisfactory and meritorious and imputable unto many. Parenthesis number two. From the nature of the obedience itself, which was a perfect compliance with, a fulfillment of, and satisfaction unto the whole law in all its demands. This on the supposition of that act of God's sovereign authority, whereby a representative of the whole church was introduced to answer the law is the ground of his righteousness being made theirs, and being every way sufficient unto their justification. Parentheses number three. From the constitution of God, that what was done and suffered by Christ as a public person and our surety should be reckoned unto us as if done by ourselves. So the sin of Adam, whilst he was a public person and represented his whole posterity, is imputed unto us all as if we had committed 
that actual sin. This Bellarmine himself frequently acknowledges non-English words and elsewhere that the actual sin of Adam is imputed unto us as if we all had committed that actual sin, that is, broken the whole law of God. And this is that whereby the Apostle illustrates the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto believers. And it may on as good grounds be charged with absurdities as the other. It is not, therefore, said that God judges that we have in our own persons done those very acts and endured that penalty of the law which the Lord Christ did and endured. For this would overthrow all imputation. But what Christ did and suffered, that God imputes unto believers unto the justification of life, as if it had been done by themselves. And his righteousness as a public person is made theirs by imputation, even as the sin of Adam, whilst a public person is made the sin of all his posterity by imputation. Hereon, none of the absurdities pretended, which are really such, do at all follow. It does not so that Christ in his own person performed every individual act that we in our circumstances are obliged unto in a way of duty. Nor was there any need that so he should do. This imputation, as I have showed, stands on other foundations. Nor does it follow that every saved person's righteousness before God is the same identically and numerically with Christ in his public capacity as mediator. For this objection destroys itself by affirming that as it was his, it was the righteousness of God-man. And so, it has an especial nature as it respects or relates unto his person. It is the same that Christ in his public capacity did work or effect. But there is a wide difference in the consideration of it as his absolutely and as ours made. It was formally inherent in him, is only materially imputed unto us, was actively his, is passively ours, was wrought in the person of God-man for the whole church, is imputed unto each single believer as unto his own concernment only. Adam's sin was imputed unto us, is not the sin of a representative though it be of him that was so, but is the particular sin of every one of us. But this objection must be farther spoken into, where it occurs afterwards. Nor will it follow that on this supposition we should be accounted to have done that which was done long before we were in a capacity of doing anything. For that is done for us and in our stead, before we are in any such capacity, may be imputed unto us as is the sin of Adam. And yet, there is a manifold sense wherein men may be said to have done what was done for them and in their name before their actual existence, so that therein is no absurdity. As unto what is added, by the way, that Christ did not do nor suffer the idiom that we were obliged unto, whereas he did what the law required and suffered what the law threatened unto the disobedient which is the whole of what we are obliged unto. It will not be so easily proved, nor the arguments be very suddenly answered, whereby the contrary has been confirmed, that Christ did sustain the place of a surety, or was the surety of the new covenant, 
the scripture does so explicitly affirm that it cannot be denied, and that there may be sureties in cases criminal as well as civil and pecuniary, as has been proved before. What else occurs about the singularity of Christ's obedience, as he was mediator, proves only that his righteousness, as formerly and inerrantly his, was peculiar unto himself, and that the adjuncts of it, which arise from its relation unto his person, as it was inerrant in him, are not communicable unto them to whom it is imputed. Number six. It is moreover urged, quote, that upon the supposition of imputation of the righteousness of Christ, it will follow that every believer is justified by the works of the law. For the obedience of Christ was a legal righteousness, and if that be imputed unto us, then we are justified by the law, which is contrary unto express testimonies of Scripture in many places. End quote. Answer. Parenthesis number one, I know nothing more frequent in the writings of some learned men than that the righteousness of Christ is our legal righteousness, who yet, I presume, are able to free themselves of this objection. Parenthesis number two, if this do follow in the true sense of being justified by the law, or the works of it, so denied in the scripture, their weakness is much to be pitied, who can see no other way whereby we may be free from an obligation to be justified by the law, but by this imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Parenthesis number three, the scripture which affirms that, quote, by the deeds of the law no man can be justified, end quote, affirms in like manner that, by faith, we do not make void the law, but establish it, that righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us, that Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, and is the end of the law for the righteousness unto them that do believe, and that the law must be fulfilled, or we cannot be justified. We shall prove afterwards. Parentheses number four. We are not hereon justified by the law or the works of it in the only sense of that proposition in the scripture. And to coin new senses or significations of it is not safe. The meaning of it in the scripture is that only the doers of the law shall be justified. Romans chapter 2 verse 13. And that he that does the things of it shall live by them. Chapter 10 verse 5. Namely, in his own person, by the way of personal duty, which alone the law requires. But if we, who have not fulfilled the law in the way of an errant personal obedience, are justified by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ unto us, then are we justified by Christ and not by the law. But it is said that this will not relieve. For if this obedience be so imputed unto us as that we are accounted by God in judgment to have done what Christ did, it is all one upon the matter, and we are as much justified by the law as if we had in our own proper persons performed an unsinning obedience unto it. This, I confess, I cannot understand. The nature of this imputation is here represented as formally in such a way as we cannot acknowledge. From thence alone this inference is made, which yet, in my judgment, does not follow thereon. For grant an imputation of the righteousness of another unto us, be it of what nature it will, all justification by the law and works of it, and the sense of the scripture is gone forever. 
the admission of imputation takes off all power from the law to justify. For it can justify none but upon a righteousness that is originally and inherently his own. The man that does them shall live by them. If the righteousness that is imputed be the ground and foundation of our justification and made ours by the imputation, state it how you will. That justification is of grace and not of the law. However, I know not of any that say we are accounted of God in judgment personally to have done what Christ did, and it may have a sense that is false, namely, that God should judge us in our own persons to have done those acts which we never did. But that Christ did for us in our stead is imputed and communicated unto us as we are coalesce into one mystical person with him by faith. And thereon we are justified. And this absolutely overthrows all justification by the law or the works of it, though the law be established, fulfilled, and accomplished, that we may be justified. Neither can any, on the supposition of the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, truly stated, be said to merit their own salvation. Satisfaction and merit are adjuncts of the righteousness of Christ, as formerly inerrant in his own person, and as such it cannot be transferred into another. Wherefore, as it is imputed unto individual believers, it has not those properties accompanying of it, which belong only unto its existence in the person of the Son of God. But this was spoken unto before, as also much of what was necessary to be repeated here. These objections I have in this place taken notice of because the answers given unto them do tend to farther explanation of that truth whose confirmation by arguments and testimonies of Scripture I shall now proceed unto. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources as well as our complete mail order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books CDs, and much more at great discounts are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-468. 1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue Edmonton AB Canada T6L3T5 If you do not have a web connection please request a free printed catalog If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list. So once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com 
with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc. that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message, including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.